Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside, just outside of New York City. From an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Fanny. What's up, brother? Oh, Andrew, what's up? You know what? Before we even get into what's up, someone emailed us and said, whatever happens, Andrew must never stop doing the OES intro. Hmm. Yeah. It was a listener. He said, it's one of my favorite parts. It gets me all hyped for the start of the show. That's wonderful to hear. Um, I don't know and how I, that started. I don't it, know why that started. It was not your no regular joke or anything. I think by 2016, the middle of 2016, you were that what you were just doing it like because yeah. it wasn't your thing from the start. You tried to be more professional, more Bob Costas, and and clearly mm-hmm. that wasn't working. And then you just went to what you know, shouting yeah, into a microphone uh, and, and unprofessionalism. Wow. I just fell back on the things that I'm so comfortable with, and. Uh... <laughs> And look, hey, it, unprofessionalism has done us both massive favors. So just remember that, kids. Not Bob Costas. Do it our way. That's right. Oh, what a what a pod this is going to be. What a weekend this was. Our MLS Cup final is set. I only just finished watching Philadelphia NYCFC, like, I don't know, you tell me, seconds ago? More seconds. Like, so obviously that is extremely fresh in my mind. We will talk all about that. LAFC also booking their place in the final earlier on Sunday against Austin FC. Um, so the, the final is set. And it's like John Strong said, near the end of the Eastern Conference final, you know, putting biases aside, putting rooting interests aside, just like from a perspective of the sport, it's kind of the it's kind of the final that the neutrals would have wanted to see. I think, I mean, they had the stat during the game, JJ from 2019 to today, the union, uh, well, really those three, the union NYCFC and LAFC have been the three most successful teams in the league. It just, it's a final that just kind of feels right. The two teams that were clearly the best teams all throughout the, uh, the regular season. And it felt right that NYCFC pushed Philadelphia to the end as defending champions. It just, it was, this was just a, a great day for the league. 
for the sport in this country. Um, and so we'll talk about that, of course, in uh, just a, a few minutes from now. There's also some unfortunate injury business to discuss as we close in on the World Cup. We always knew, we always knew that this would be an underlying theme of this World Cup, and it is unfortunately bearing itself out to be the case. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, where to begin? I mean, I, I, I do so badly want to start with Philadelphia and NYCFC just because it, it only just ended. But let's, I guess, JJ, we'll start in the Premier League and we'll work our way. I just kind of wrote down here like a few top stories. And of course, MLS is in it. So we'll just, in, in this first part of the podcast, we'll just bounce around through those things. Is that cool? That's cool with me. Okay. Um, well, I'll tell you what, let's start with kind of the, there were a couple eye-catching results, JJ, in the Premier didn't League notice, over the weekend. Didn't, I, I didn't see any. Oh. Didn't notice anything. What are you talking about? Eye-catching. Okay. Well, let me fill you in then. Um, Liverpool lost to uh, Leeds United, JJ, the uh, beleaguered Leeds United, the team whose American manager was on a, a scorching hot seat. That Leeds United, 2-1, your final. And, um, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold said something after this game that was interesting to me. Uh, I'm going to read you this quote. He said, clearly as a team, something's not going right. It's not going as well as we want it to go. That's something for everyone to think about. That's something for everyone to address and make sure we put it right, especially next week against Spurs, top four rivals, caught offside cup. That first part, clearly as a team, something's not going right. Like, that's a little bit of a worrying comment. It's also worrying from him. Like, I would think that he should probably be doing a little bit of soul searching, a little bit of looking in the mirror himself. I mean, there were moments in this game, again, where you're just watching, uh, what was it, when Brendan Aronson hit the crossbar? Yeah. Like, he just kind of cruised right past Trent. Like, yeah, it's, I, I guess Trent Alexander, he's kind of saying what we've all been suspecting for the first, you know, couple months of this season. Um, but it was kind of interesting for me to hear him actually put that quote out there. Yeah, I think if, if, if this was just about Trent Alexander-Arnold, it would be, it would be great. If it was just one position of, of, of note, but Andrew, it's, it's everywhere. The midfield. The centre backs, um, you could even say to an extent the attack. This is a team wide problem. It's not Trent Alexander Arnold. It's the everything, and that's the problem. And I've spent the last twenty four hours trying to figure out, you know, one area or, or or one kind of unifying thought as to why Liverpool are playing as poorly as they are. And I've I've been. I've been oscillating between two things. So most Liverpool fans, they want to get to the World Cup. They think that that will offer a reset, that we can just take those weeks off, rest up, and move the rehab along of key players like Diaz and Jota, and and just come back refreshed and renewed. And then there's the other part of me that thinks, this is just the decline of a very good team. And that's what we're watching right now. This is a team that has been going hell for leather since, most of them since 2018. You know, competing against a team like Manchester City. There's no th tread left on the tires. There's no, there's the energy levels have sapped. We, on this podcast, regularly, when Klopp came in, we said, how how is this sustainable? That a team can go again and again and again and go keep going to the well and maybe the wells run dry. So I think you're right. I think this is something that we, we did kind of identify this early in the season that 
by the way, it may not have run dry permanently. We said that there was always like with the way they play and with just like the normal rhythms of the sport, there was always a chance that this season was going to be a setback in some way, which by the way, may still be top. It, it may still be fourth for them it, for, you know, it might still be an okay season. I wouldn't put my money on that right now, but it's possible. No. Um, so like this may not be a permanent end. It might be, it might be a, a season long blip for this iteration of Klopp and Liverpool. Um, so who knows? I'm not ready to to pronounce them dead permanently. Um, one thing I will say about them. So yes, like they're leaking goals. It doesn't look, it just doesn't look right from what we're accustomed to seeing with Liverpool. But I will say this, like 70% possession, 22 shots, 10 on target, a goalkeeper for Leeds United who stood on his head to keep this a 2-1 or to keep it 1-1 for much of the game. I mean, Liverpool were peppering Melier with shots, and he just was phenomenal. It was one of, probably one of the goalkeeping performances of the season. Like, not there are there are elements of Liverpool that are broken in a way that we're not used to seeing. So probably I, I would point to certain things in the midfield and defensively, like you talked about. But in terms of, like, overall performance, it's still funny, man. Like, there are games when I watch them play, and, I, I, and this was kind of one of them where I think it, it doesn't all look bad to me. Like it's still there are still there are still clearly hallmark imprints there of of the Klopp system and it's still getting through to certain players. Obviously, like they're they're still pouring on pressure, um, but they're just conceding goals maybe in ways that we weren't accustomed to in in past seasons. But it's not it doesn't all look broken to me. But no, but if you remember peak peak Liverpool seventeen eighteen eighteen nineteen nineteen twenty like they'd get on top of a team. And look, there was close run games. There was games that they won late, sure. But, you know, they'd get on top of a team from the start and they'd, they'd smother them. It would be over early, often over early. Those first 15, 20 minutes, you're not seeing that now. What you're seeing is a nervy, tentative side that more than likely will concede 12 out of the last 16 times. Like that, that is, that's just not fluke. That's not accident. That's a systems failure. And that's a huge problem. Now, I'll grant you this, Andrew. I thought between the conceding the goal and the equalizer, I thought Liverpool were excellent. But I thought after that, Leeds were like, let's keep going at them. Let's not stop. They're weak. And here's one thing that no amount of tactics and no amount of kind of moving personnel, moving your pieces around can change, is that energy and intensity, that's not there. Like, Leeds matched them for that in midfield. Tyler Adams in particular. Like, to be... We have an older midfield. That is a fact. In Paris, it was, it was apart from the, the ugliness before that game, it was the one impression that was left in my mind football-wise was that we had to start Thiago even though he was not fit in the warm-up. You could tell he wasn't ready to go, but we had to because we didn't have the options. And that has not been properly addressed. And you can't make Fabinho younger. And he's not, I don't, Fabinho's not even 30 yet, but we'll say Henderson. Look at look at that key midfield. Think of the think of the physicality, the strength, the ability to break up opposition, the ability to press that was there when it was Wijnaldum, Fabinho, and Henderson. One of those players isn't there, and two of those are severely diminished. That that is maybe we're just looking at something in sports which we talk about all the time, which is this a cycle. Fergie had his three year cycles at Manchester United. I'm sick to, sick talking about them, but it's true. And you'd replenish after three or four years. And maybe that hasn't properly been done at Liverpool. And and this is 
This is it. And 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 also it's been exhausting physically and mentally to play the way Klopp wants to play and to keep constantly trying every week to keep up with Manchester City. And maybe this maybe this is just the toll of it. There's also how the game finished. Now that ball that comes across that Bamford kind of miss kicks and it ends up Oof. coming to Somerville. I feel in my heart and soul that Virgil van Dijk, old Virg, nips in front and clears that ball. And if he doesn't get it the first time when it's coming across, he gets it the second time. He doesn't do anything, Andrew. He backs off, he backs off, he backs off. Why is he doing that? Fear of overstretching, fear of being caught out, not reading the play, diminished in some way because of the injury. Just not the same. And I don't know what to do to change it. I've been listening to the Anfield Rap, which is the, the go-to podcast uh, for for Liverpool supporters. We had Neil Atkinson on. And, and Neil is just, he's not quite down the road of where I'm at, that maybe this this thing needs a, a major reset. And by I, by reset, I mean replacing players or slowly phasing players out and, 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 and start the process of squad building for the next phase of Klopp's tenure. But he is talking about gifts. Liverpool give away so many presents now. Like they're well, so look, easy. I mean, look no further than the opening goal. My right. goodness. And, and I can I can make a I can make a I can make an excuse for that in any other season because Gomez is is in control of the ball. He's in control of the situation. And at the last minute, he 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 doesn't he doesn't do that little bit of a scan. He doesn't have a little bit of a look, and he plays it. Allison slips. That's it. That can happen. But you lump that in together with the the totality of the way Liverpool have played this season, and it's not just a random error. It's it's part of a pattern. Uh, meanwhile, the other side of this, Leeds, what an important win for them. What an important win for their manager. They move up to 15th, uh, which doesn't sound great, but it's better than the alternative. And, and they've played one game fewer than the teams beneath them. Uh, if you are already looking at that sort of thing, uh, it is still somewhat early, but when you're battling for relegation, everything matters. Um, I mean, Jesse Marsh, I don't know if there was a manager in the league that needed something like this more than he did, and and he got it. He did, and he celebrated with some kind of weird air guitar thing. So the first goal that, that went in, he sticks his hand into the air and points with a finger. And I didn't, I did, I remember not, obviously being a Liverpool fan, I didn't like that. Um, but I didn't like seeing that because my team had just conceded. But also, it seemed to me like Jesse was taking some kind of credit for that goal, which was definitely not uh, not due to Leeds United. Uh, despite the fact they played excellently in the game, that that moment certainly wasn't uh, wasn't drawn up at Thorpe Arch uh, Training Centre. But um, well, I mean, he's allowed to be happy though with a winner again, a yeah, late winner against Liverpool. What do you yeah. want him to do? Yeah, no, I'm just I'm just being bitter. His sunny disposition, <laughs> although. I say Sonny disposition. He was much more measured in the post-match than he has been when the team have been defeated lately. That was the thing. He was much less bombastic, Jesse, because he's bombastic in his own way. He's he's very, very short. He's very, very confident. And sometimes people don't want to hear that, especially when you've lost like 3-0 away at Leicester. But he was much more reserved, much more cool and calm. Um, it was a brilliant result for him, Andrew. Uh, it was one thing that Phil Hay tweeted that I thought kind of summed up the whole night for both teams. Uh, it was notice- noticeable last night that the energy held up from start to finish. Liverpool had periods of pressure and chances for sure, 
but Leeds didn't ever really drop off. And here's the stats. Leeds United covered 121.4 kilometres yesterday against Liverpool, the most distance ran by a team in a Premier League game this season. Mm, wow. Yeah. They fought, but you could see it. They fought for the manager right to the very end. Um, and they kept going. They really did keep going. The energy levels were were unbelievably good. Now, there's a, there's a school of thought, um, particularly amongst the American uh, stats guys like Michael Cali, that says, listen, the underlying numbers were good for Jesse Marsh and Leeds United, and this will turn around. And I remember John Muller saying it doesn't need to be a crisis. And maybe this is the start of that changing. I, I spoke to my Leeds United supporting friend. He said, none of this is any use if we don't go and beat Bournemouth next week. So that that is the that is the mindset that they're in right now. Um, do, are are leads all leads problems fixed? I definitely don't think so. But I mean that is such a morale boosting win. I mean to go to Anfield and and win in that fashion, and we saw some Yorkshire limbs the like of which we have never seen. Those travelling supporters who are your hardcore, Andrew, what a party they had! They absolutely loved it. Uh, and I was. Um, I was in the uh, the Liverpool bar in uh, Brooklyn, the Monroe, and I've never seen it so quiet. When, when, when Somerville's shot goes in, it's just sucked the life out of the place. Absolutely, deathly silent. Um, and and one of the great sights in football when the way end pops off like that. Yeah, um, JJ, I'm I'm curious what it did to your heart when. Uh, so there was that incident that kind of went somewhat viral on U.S. soccer Twitter from this game with Brendan Aronson getting into it with Andy Robertson and then Tyler Adams immediately coming to get Brendan Aronson's back. You're in Liverpool mode as you're watching. So my guess is you're, you're right there cursing at those guys the way other Liverpool fans were. But I, I guess I, I have to ask the question if there was a part of you that thought, huh, kind of, kind of cool actually to see two Americans on the field like that, you know, going at it together against a Liverpool player. No, 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 no. When I'm in that moment, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I leave that for the for the the USMNT accounts, who you know they'll they'll. Well, they tweet. all had it. Oh, they all had it. They also had, uh, you know, for validation reasons, they also had Jesse and uh, Jurgen hugging after the game, and then of course they had the handshake emoji. You know, because we can't have anything. We can't do anything without looking over to see, do they like us? Do they think we're good? They think we're good. Klopp thinks we're good. You know, rather than just going on what your eyes have seen. Aronson and, and, and Tyler Adams were brilliant. Um, and yes, there was an American on the sideline who was under severe pressure and um, and got a, a, got a big, big win. A, a very big win. Definitely buys him a little bit of time. You would think. Uh, the other eye-popping win from over the weekend in the Premier League, JJ, Chelsea getting hammered in Graham Potter's return to Brighton. Wow. Um, on that note, he was jeered from yes. minute one all the way through the end. Yes. Um, you know, chance of you're getting sacked in the morning could be heard when it was 3-0. Kind of a little bit humorous, I suppose. But, of course. Uh, like, I, I asked you here, like, is it is it silly to even bring this up as a thing anymore? Like, is this just become a thing that like, yeah, these guys, when they, when you leave a club and the fans didn't want you to leave, um, you're going to get booed when you go back. Is that just an accepted thing or, or is it still fair to raise an eyebrow at something like this where Graham Potter, he went to that club and he did 
great things there. You wonder maybe there's a maybe the fans will forever love him for for any number of reasons for the the success that he had there, um, or is that just like has that is that naive? Has that sort of sentimentality gone out the window in the sport? Um, I, I think there'll be there'll be plenty of Brighton fans who appreciate the football they played, the way he took over from Chris Hewton. By the way, he didn't bring them up. They'll appreciate the way he took over and changed and and just played some some excellent football and made them compete and made them very, very safe every season that he was there. But Andrew, it's it's funny you should mention this because the Daily Mail did something I couldn't believe. They gave a column to a Brighton supporter and said, explain this. Why is there booing? And Oh, wow. Is that right? I wish I had seen this. Yeah. So let me, let me read quickly to you from it. Um, so this is Joe Sayers, Brighton supporter. And I've, I've taken a few extracts. He said, it's important to note that this animosity, the booing, the jeering, wasn't directed solely at Potter, but also towards Chelsea. Since August, they have required a, our player of the season in Mark Cucurella, our head coach, his team, including two club legends in Ben Roberts and Bruno, and are reportedly even now looking at our head of recruitment. The general consensus from outside seems to be that we should be grateful for everything Potter and his staff did for us. For the majority of his tenure, life under Potter was extremely positive, culminating in our highest ever finish in the Premier League. However, to see him jump ship six games into the season was extremely tough to take. So for me, the bitterness is completely justified. As the fourth goal went in, I could only think one thing. You can buy our head coach players and backroom staff, but you'll never buy our soul. Now, that is the sentiment, and that's where it comes from. Now, I can see any number of people out there right now. I can see you in my mind rolling your eyes. This is how it works, JJ. This is how business works. This is how the real world works. This is, you know, some kind of Gordon Gecko capitalist. The big shark comes along and eats the little shark. But it doesn't mean fans have to like it or, or even, you know, not react to it and just thank Graham Potter for being there. No, that is what you're going to get. And other people will say, well, it's always been like this. Liverpool used to take players away from Watford and clubs like that in the 1980s because they could pay the best wages. I do understand that, but it's got to be fairly gutting to see, um, you know, what your CEO, your CEO or director of football, he goes off to Newcastle because they've got all that money. And then your backroom staff is gutted. Graham Potter goes. And, you you know, you're trying to stay in the Premier League. You're trying to maintain what's been built up over a few years. And the big fish just comes in and takes it. And and there'd be the sense that this isn't fair, that there's a lack of fairness in it. Now, you see this I, all the time. And so you are almost a nerd to it. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, sometimes I, not that I ever fake an opinion, but like sometimes I do, I do like to go the other way from something you're saying on stuff like this. I, I can't do that here. I think you I think you're exactly right. Like this is the natural order of things. We're all used to it. We're all accustomed to it. But you're you said it perfectly. It doesn't mean that fans of that team need to like it. And so yeah, he did great things there. And it looked like they were on track to maybe have an, a a truly remarkable special season this year, and he left. And that's really difficult for fans to take. The the wound is still fresh. This only just happened within the last like month and a half or so. Mm. Um Brighton had been struggling since Potter left. This was their first win under their new manager. Um, so yeah, this hadn't scabbed over yet, 
the Cucurella thing, that's a good point as well. That, you know, right at the end of the transfer window, they Chelsea poached their maybe their best player. Um, so yeah, natural order of things. This is the way the sport is, money, blah, yada, yada, yada. We all understand that. But yeah, fans are fans are human, deeply human, and they can get their feelings hurt, as we see all the time in this sport. And I get it. And I get it. So I'm not I'm not gonna hate on Brighton fans for reacting the way that they did. No, no, I, ca- I can't. And um, and credit to Dejerby for getting his team to play in such a fashion. Here's another player as well. And, and this is the this feeds into what we were just talking about. I got a tweet from someone immediately after that game, Andrew. Guess what the tweet was? And imagine being a Brighton fan who might stumble across this. I'd like to. I, I'll take a I'll gander at it. Uh, sign Trossard now. Boom. <laughs> is Trossard yeah. the next? Is Trossard the next one out the door, JJ? And I mean, I'm like, yes, he will not be on Brighton next season. That is my prediction. No, he won't be because he's Natural order of things. Exactly. And I think he turns 28 in December. So his, his next big move is his really big move and his yeah. last big move probably. So unfortunately that is just, that is soccernomics and it sucks. It absolutely stinks. He was great in this game. I mean, look, Brighton had some help. Two own goals will will, will change the complexion of a game real quick. Uh, but they made those goals happen, you know, off a corner kick, um, you know, off a, a counterattack. So, you know, they they were certainly a party to it. It wasn't a total fluke. Uh, and they were they were very good. They were genuinely good in this game. Chelsea did not generate many opportunities to score. Uh, I think that I mean, look, 4-1 is a big scoreline, but I think Brighton were deserved winners. That was Great. that was an impressive performance from them. Yeah, Graham Potter had this to say. Uh, unfortunately, we, we missed the pass or just didn't execute it. We didn't take our chances and they did. It's part of the process. You have to suffer and feel pain in order to grow and get better. Nobody said we're the finished article and we have to take the pain today and learn from it. So, like, it's very much, I'm still figuring this out from Graham Potter. And they are not, they're not yet playing the kind of football that he was able to get Brighton to play. He's still figuring out that attack a lot. So this is the, and, and this is really because they've been unbeaten. This is the first little bump in the road for Potter. And then they go to the league leaders at the weekend. So they have Arsenal coming up. So this is a, this is an important phase for Potter. Um, how they react in a big game after taking a shellac in a way at a side that they would be expected to beat. It's going to be interesting to see how he reacts to that, Andrew. Yeah, uh, they're sixth right now, Chelsea are. Sandwiched in between Manchester United, who are fifth, and Fulham, JJ, who are seventh. I I think that, I don't know when exactly, but I feel like a a Fulham in the club is well within order right now. Oh, I I, I think so too. Um, I mean, what is happening? The tourist, the American tourist and businessman's favorite, as I like to call them. Um, we have to give them credit. We haven't given them enough credit whatsoever for what they've done. And um, I mean, our, 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 our predictions look stupid though, really. I mean, Whoa. Speak for yourself. They were my prediction for highest finishing newly promoted team. How dare you? Well, I look really stupid considering the position of Nottingham Forest versus the position of, of Fulham. I put far too much faith. Ah, that's not fair. Steve Cooper's probably still a good manager, but I, I think um, maybe those above him, some of whom are no longer at the club, he's been given a new contract. Some of the people who signed the players have been sacked. So, um, yeah, but I feel, I feel a bit foolish. My predictions, uh, they're not coming off so good. By the way, before we move on to the next topic, this is a good juncture, I feel, for me to say, please, 
go to our Twitter at CO Soccer Pod and follow us on Twitter. We have to you have to keep rating, reviewing, liking, subscribing, the whole thing. And our YouTube page is up and running. You may even see I'm I'm planning on it. You may even see content on it tomorrow if JJ can figure out the technicalities of YouTube. So we will put the link for the YouTube in the description for this podcast so you can get there. Andrew, there are already almost 400 people signed up to a YouTube channel with no content on it. That is how good our listeners are. Is that true? Yep. <laughs> Let me just check in how many there are right now because... Uh, this is astonishing. I know. Like, there's literally nothing up there, and they've... they've uh, there's 384 people. <laughs> Right. And, um, you know, they give you a little they've given us YouTube have given us a little motivational trophy, which uh, is right here in front of me. And it says um, new achievement, 300 subscribers. People like your channel and it shows. No, they don't. I haven't done anything on it yet. I kind of want to ride this out and just see how high we can get that subscription base before we actually do content. Oh, my God, guys. That would be amazing. We can get to a thousand before we post a video. Well, I, maybe I'm, that'll I'm, be the carrot at the end of the stick. We'll say, okay, if you guys, if we get a thousand subscribers, we'll actually do something. <laughs> well, I'm planning on doing something tomorrow. It's a bit of a surprise, um, but uh, it's not really a surprise. I'm just putting up content tomorrow. But I would love sure if I does. wake. I would love if I wake up tomorrow morning and uh, and yeah, we're at a thousand. But uh, fair play to everybody and the description is or the link is in the description so click on it if you haven't subscribed already andrew won't forget to put it there <laughs> wow that sounded like a veiled threat uh, i don't respond well to threats i might intentionally now leave it out i guess you all have to just look down in the description and see what i chose to do andrew sabotaging um, his own show to make a point <laughs> that is so on brand it's actually it's almost painful how on brand that is uh let's see we continue now jj um the other top stories, of course, from the weekend, like we referenced at the top of the show, MLS Cup Final is set. It will be in Los Angeles, of course. LAFC, your supporter shield winners, they will host. Deservedly, they are in this game. They were, I mean, since their inception, they have been phenomenal. It's almost, you almost have to go back and look at recent MLS Cups just to like double check that they weren't in one. It feels like, I feel like I've seen them in one before, but no, you haven't. Uh, this is their first. It's also the first time that the Supporter Shield winner has reached MLS Cup since 2017 when Toronto FC did, which is uh, kind of a quirky stat of this league that is like just, it feels like that's always been the case that for whatever reason, teams just like, bust a gut during the regular season and it's hard for them to keep that pace during the postseason. Uh, I don't know, kind of a weird thing, but it's not the case this year. The two one seeds, both in the final um, first on LAFC, JJ fairly comprehensive three nail victory. Um, maybe Austin FC with a shout for a penalty that could have potentially changed the complexion of this game. I, I thought it was, I was surprised that it wasn't given. I, did you think when the referee went to the monitor, he's going to give this? Yes. I thought that yes. too, and I. What was the basis for not giving it? I'm going to have to check in with the, with the the MLS Referees Association because I don't get it. Now, that was a, an oasis in a desert of opportunities. Really, I thought LAFC thoroughly deserved to go through. Um, the comeback kings of MLS is the title everyone's given Austin. They're the only team in MLS history to come back from two goals behind and win four times in a single season. So maybe 
maybe if they did get that penalty, they they could have swung it. But I just thought everything went LAFC's way in terms of of this game, and really just because they deserved it. Like if you look at the last goal, I mean the bounce on the ball was unbelievable. Diego Fagundes is down on the on the right hand side or left at whatever, depending on your your um your perspective and he goes in, he just flies into a tackle <laughs> and he ends up assisting on the goal. It just goes, bounces between the Austin center halves and it's buried. LAFC far and away the better team though. I, like I, I really do think, I expected it to be much closer this game, but, um, but the 32-52 will be happy. Sure will. Only one shot on target for Austin yeah. in this one. Uh, was, I mean, you know, we, we spent so much time talking about how lethal that LAFC attack is defensively. They're just as good. I mean, they're, they are brilliant. They are locked down defensively. Druisi really was a total non-factor for the most part in this one. Um, and I don't think anyone, you know, crazy things can happen in the postseason. Obviously LAFC, El Trafico was, was a great game in the playoffs. You never know how these things can go in a one-off, but I don't think anyone can be truly surprised in the least that LAFC would be here. I think it's uh, I think most people would look at it you know, and say that this is, that this is well-deserved that this is about time that something like this has happened. Uh, sure. So now they, they get their chance to play for the trophy that they've been craving since they came into the league. And you would think they'd be favorites as they go up against the Philadelphia union uh, who were first in the East this year. What a fun second half. What a lively game. This was of course, with the backdrop of this being the rematch from a year ago when the union were missing essentially half their team, uh, due did to, you um, did you buy into that whole revenge thing? Did because I say that again? Did you did, were you were you buying into the whole sense of revenge? And... Uh yes, I was. Like I do believe that they're. I mean, I'm only one person. You would have to ask the sons of Ben. Like, uh, take your cues from them, not me. But I do believe that there was a sense of unfinished business or you know something that the the way last season ended for the union after such a brilliant year um there was such bitterness over how that ended that like it's one thing to like it's one thing to lose when you feel like well we gave everything we had and sometimes it just wasn't our day like it's one you can lose like that and i think you can kind of live with it but to lose and have the vast majority of your best players not available to play because of COVID. Like it just, there was a real emptiness to losing like that. Yeah. When you, there were, there was always going to be this kind of like, what if, you know, in the back of, of the minds of, of this fan base and this team. And so, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I don't know nationally how big of a narrative that was in this game, but I, I do think in the minds of Philadelphia union fans, especially not only because they got back to this point again, but because it was against the same team, and that team went on and won the title. They're the defending champions at this stage. Uh, I do think that that was a thing in this I, game. Um, it was for me. Well, I definitely think that they, they played like a team from the beginning who were absolutely out to physically bully and have a vendetta against the opposition. I mean, did you see the stats at halftime? It was like 17 fouls in the first half, which seems like a lot. Five fouls by NYCFC and 12 by Philadelphia. Like Philadelphia were completely um, like there was an intensity to their game that definitely disrupted NYCFC. And 
we, we always hear about Jim Curtin. His teams don't care about possession. They're not worried. They want functional, useful possession. And I've, I've rarely seen a team executing that. I mean, they only had 35% of the ball. Um, mm. But they, they executed so well. And um, particularly, I don't know, as a supporter, what you felt. But when, when they scored, when NYCFC opened the scoring... I thought, uh-oh, here we go, here we go. But it wasn't even the goal that was the turning point, the NYCFC goal. Oh, that suddenly kicked Philadelphia into life. I think it was Andre Blake's save from the header. Yes. Like, I honestly think that just roused the crowd, roused the union. Like, we can't lose this. We're still in this. It's only one goal. I think it's one of the best saves I've seen in a long time. Now, people will say it's kind of central, but he's got it's it's down to his right, and he's got to get his arm down there, and he's got to get enough on it so he doesn't fumble it into the net. Oh, it's a brilliant save. It was to keep that game where it was. Um, now, look, when the Union went down, it was it was a, against the run of play. It was a brilliant move, the build up from yeah. back to front, Sean Johnson um, to Chanel. Like it just, it was just a thing of beauty. And then Maxi Morales with the great first time finish from about twenty yards out. It was. It was a great goal, um, but like I don't know. To watch the Union this year is to sort of think, okay, well they're not one nil is not going to be the final. Like this team, just the way they score goals and just like how quickly it can just snowball. Um, I don't know. There was still this part of me that obviously I would have rather, as a fan, I would have rather that not have happened. You don't want to concede goals, but I didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't quite as deflating as I think maybe it it could have been in another year. Um, I think right. I think this team in the minds of of the fan base has just built up enough equity with their performances over the course of the season that you just felt okay. Well, there's a goal in this one for us, um, and sure enough, it came pretty quickly. Blake made the save. You're right. That kind of like reinvigorated the team, the crowd, and then you came down off of the the free kick, which you know off of a sub. They called it out on the broadcast. It looked like maybe guys just weren't in the right position. Carranza made the run. It was read beautifully and like. I mean, Fox barely got to the shot of the goal happening. It, it all just kind of unfolded so quickly. It, um, so it's just a, what a you brilliant call bit a, of heads-up play. Oh, I was about to say, is that what you Yanks call a heads-up play? <laughs> I, I suppose uh, I just answered that for you. Yeah. It, tonight for me, Carranza was man of the match. Hmm, uh, Andrew, okay. I thought he led the line brilliantly. I thought he, he worked so hard. And... Like hearing on the broadcast that he hadn't scored since August and that Jim Curtin had set him a task. Listen, you have a job now and you got to go score. His header, his cushioned header from future Ireland international Jack Midlin was just so... Oh, I'm, I'm getting that out there. Did you... I read something. Apparently the Republic of Ireland have approached him. Um, As they should, but I don't know. I think, I think he has his sights set elsewhere, but... I don't know. I don't know yet. I really don't. Um, I I mean, anyway. I, would, I think coming up through the youth ranks with the US, maybe, but imagine yeah. imagine how bitter you'd be if we stole him away from you. Oh, a union kid. Oh, you'd, oh, you'd hate me forever. My smug grin every time I saw you mentioning Jack Madlin all the time. I don't think this is going to happen. This I, My knowledge is based on nothing, but like, I think there's a future for him with the US. Like, if and there's know. no future for him with the the birth with the birthplace of his father. How dare you? Oh, you but disgusting. I'm saying I think he would. 
I know. I don't know him. I can't speak for him. So anyway, doesn't matter. All I all I know is that I've seen him wearing U.S. the U.S. colors. Like it's just I don't know. I don't don't know why he would suddenly change course when it feels like it's going in the right direction for him in this setup. I saw Declan Rice wear the Irish colors three times. The senior team. It can change. Anyway, I thought Bedoya come Bedoya coming off, who clearly wasn't one hundred percent fit, allowing Midlin to come in. That ball is so good into um, into Carranza. And Andrew, what was your thought when it came to Carranza? Oh, he's going to chest it down and volley it. Such a great little cushioned header to um, Gazdag and and he buries it. Now, I think Sean Johnson could have come out. Him being rooted to the line was a bit weird. That's a tough tough one for Johnson. I, I... You're probably right. When I watched the replay, actually, it's funny you say that. I, I thought the same thing, that maybe the ball hung up there just long enough. He could have done something. But I don't know. I think the union just played it well. My thought as that was happening wasn't necessarily, oh, Carranza, he's going to chest it, fire on net. I, I was afraid that Gazdag was offside. Um, and it, I think it was very close. Oh, I, I thought he was miles on. No, the, the, the Fox okay. broadcast said, oh, tight. By the it time is. It- well, it was tight. You couldn't have taken two headed offside incidents in one week for Spurs, and and I mean, you would have gone into a. Full How about week. in one game? Gazdag should have scored in the first five minutes, but he was yeah, standing that, in an offside position on a corner. That was tight too. I had to look at that a couple of times. Off, he was off on that. He was off. Oh, he was. Yeah, but it yeah. was. Uh, it's been a bad week for me trying to understand offsides um, in those particular scenarios. But um, I thought it was a brilliant cushioned header, finished brilliantly. And then icing on the cake for Burke to go just slaloming through the NYCFC defense, lose it, then get it back. And like, I'm not taking any more. I'm not messing around anymore and booting it into the roof of the net. The noise. I thought it was a great night for for the union and and well-deserved. And they went about it in a different way. They just said, hey, we're not going to dominate this game possession-wise. Let's play to our strengths. They were good in transition. And uh, that's a, they're about as physical a team as I've seen in MLS in a long time. And I mean that in a good way. Yeah, sometimes it's frightening. Um, like Martinez for the Union is just, he he's a brilliant player and he's done a job for them, a very specific job for them so well during this Jim Curtin era. But my God, you watch him play and he's he's living on the edge of a red card 90 minutes a game. He's all, It feels like he's always got that yellow you're always worried, like, because I feel like it's it's something he's not thinking about. Right. Um, they they are physical. I mean, Corey Burke's goal, the way he just shedded a defender. Uh, yeah, they they're they're everything. They play with speed, aggressiveness, power. Like they're 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 kind of this this complete team, back to you, front. Defender you, of the year, one of the maybe the best goalkeeper in the league. Gazdag, the way he found his footing, twenty two goals, ten assists this season. Like they are they are complete. This this final man, like this is. This has potential to be a, a, a really legendary final. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. The fact that LAFC have the home advantage, how does that, you know, how does that grab you? It's huge. Uh, I think it is too. Now, the Union have gone there before and played some some of their, I mean, some of their most incredible performances. Granted, remember the 3-3 yeah. uh, right before COVID? Um, I think the 2-2 recently was was there i don't think that was in philadelphia i'd have to double check um so like i don't think they'll be intimidated there but to go there for a, a a major final i suppose that's a different beast 
Um, but I think this is a season. I mean, I know the union haven't been at this point before. Now they've been to us open cup finals, but MLS cup finals different. Um, they haven't been this far before, but they've gone, they've made deep playoff runs. They know what it is to play under pressure. Um, you know, they, they've been in the CONCACAF champions league. They, you know, they know hostile environments. Um, I don't know. I, I see this as a classic. I do. I'm not ready to make my pick now. I think it's, I think this is a, a potential classic. Oh, how insufferable will you be? The Eagles. I don't, there have the not Eagles been. Seven and oh. Philadelphia possibly winning a World Series and the Union yeah. winning MLS Cup. I won't want to talk to you. This is, I mean, I've been a Philadelphia fan my whole life. Like, there have been moments where the stars have aligned, but I, I don't know about like this. In in '08, the Eagles went to the NFC Championship. The um, and the Phillies won the World Series. Yeah, uh, there have definitely been moments where like they there's been a a lot of good things happening, but this is. This is madness what's going on right now. And like the Sixers haven't even really gotten going yet. Like I they've struggled so far, but I expect them to be good when right. it's all said and done. Like this is crazy what's going on. Can you enjoy it or is your mindset? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Good, good. Just I'm to, glad. I want to go on the record and say that this has been unbelievable. Um and I'm enjoying it very because, much. Because we're all concerned with you that you're always worried about what's next around the corner, you know. Oh, I've got this good thing. A bad thing must be coming. No, that is- here's what I here's what I worry about. Um, not that. I worry about life getting in the way of me enjoying it. Right. Like when you're younger, and these things are happening, and you really don't have responsibility, you can just. I'm going to the bar, and I'm going to get hammered, and I'm going to watch this. And when I wake up the next day is when I wake up, and whatever. Like, <laughs> not. Not anymore. Like I got to watch hugely important games on DVR with my phone off, trying to avoid the score because I want to watch it later. You know, I'm like, I've got work until late. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to watch the Phillies in a World Series. Like the the game. Once I actually get to the game, like I feel it's I've already won. Like the the hard part is actually being able to watch it. Um, so like. Yeah, that's that's the only part that I worry about is like, how am I going to actually consume all this? Yeah, but, do you ever think? No, in, do you ever in, think in about, terms of like the, the actual like what's going on here? No, this is this is incredible. This is incredible. Yeah, do you ever think about just you know saying to your family, look, I need a break from you guys for like maybe a few months. Yes. Oh, a few months. <laughs> <laughs> I should have waited for you to 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 give out the length of time. Uh, <laughs> I did answer quickly there, didn't I? Yes, rather um, rather too quickly. Um, <laughs> I, I need to go to Andy's Island for a while where there's nothing but TV and, and sports. Well, because yeah. like, it's also Halloween weekend, which Oof. when you have two young children, this is, uh, this is like New Year's, Christmas, Hanukkah, Thanksgiving, and July 4th all put together. Like Halloween is, is the end-all, be-all. Halloween, when we were kids, JJ, I don't know what it was like in Ireland, if it's even a holiday. Yeah, it um, is. Okay. But uh, was that insulting? Should I have known that? Uh... No, no, no. It, 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 like, for example, it, it, I would say it's in my lifetime, in my era, when it started to take off to be like a real thing, you go trick-or-treating and people would dress up. Okay. So, but like Halloween, when, when I was a kid, it was a huge deal. It was one night. It was awesome. 
Hmm. That was it. Halloween. It's a festival. It's, it's a season now. Like, yeah, on Saturday, I, I, a buddy of mine um, had, like, he belongs to some, like, country club. And through I him, he I does. got... In, he and so through him i got we got invited to like they were they were having a big halloween party so we went to that at this place it was amazing i actually have an interesting story about that in a sec for you uh but then the next day on sunday uh there's this thing called trunk or treat which is a great thing it's cars line up in a neighborhood and you go to donate like they they all like open their trunks and you get can't you go trick or treating from car to car but like the whole purpose of it is you come and you donate jackets to, okay. to people who need jackets for the winter and so but like it's halloween you're trick-or-treating just at cars your bags are full of candy there's kids everywhere and like we're not even we've already so now i've had two halloweens and we haven't even gotten to actual halloween yet like <laughs> this is it's crazy what halloween has become but one thing so this party i went to um one of the things they did it was amazing they hired this company to come and like in the basement of this place they created a haunted house that you like walk through. But like, I I'm telling you, so I was going to take Jack and somebody said, someone who was coming out of it said, you, you might want to think twice about that. It's kind of scary. And so my buddy and I were like, all right, well maybe we'll walk through it first and then we'll see about bringing our kids. JJ, I <laughs> nearly asked myself seven times during this thing. It was horrifying. It was so scary. I can't believe that like it took some random dude to tell me maybe don't bring your six-year-old there should have been signs everywhere that said if you bring your six or under kid into this you should have them taken away from you because you're a bad parent wow. it was it was very scary and like all the all the people at this thing had it was only little kids now what they did like this haunted house it was amazing it was so good like great job but like know your audience it's all small children. Well, if I it's if it's it. if it's terrifying you, a grown man, that that's that's concerning. Like, like it was very I, scary. I have a vision of you coming out covered in like the corn syrup blood from Carrie, <laughs> and just wiping it off your face and going to your wife Amanda. Yeah, probably give it a skip. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if we don't want to uh, have to put a six-year-old through therapy, then uh, let's maybe keep Jack away from the haunted house. Although, considering Luke is going to need therapy soon, two for one. So, oh, well, there you go. So everybody wins. What's your best ever Halloween costume? Do you have one that jumps to mind? Um, I think I may have dressed up like once or twice. Oh, so you're that guy? Um, I'm not. I can't get into it. Oh, I went as uh, former. Hollywood critic Gene Shalit uh, one year. <laughs> yeah, you told me about that. That was really yeah. good. That was my worst re- one. I think when I was a junior in high school, which goes to show because that's a time in your life where you're actually worried about like how you're seen and popularity and things like that. Um, I went as <laughs> I went as Judge Judy, uh, <laughs> Judith Scheinlin. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh, I would pay for pictures of that. I'll see if I can find one. I bet I have one somewhere. Yeah, I think my um, my most recent one was obviously before COVID, and um, I went, <laughs> I went as uh, Takashi Six Nine, <laughs> the uh, careful, the problematic uh, rapper who is also a rat and is now yeah. with this protection program. <laughs> you don't want that costume to have been too good. You get mistaken. It was, it was pretty good, but I I, I still can't. No one is. Uh, 
no one is pretending I'm Takashi six nine. But uh, who was it in in ESPN warned me? Oh, you know, you got to be careful what neighborhoods you go into wearing that. I'm like, what does what does that mean? What are you talking about? Well, there's neighborhoods where that guy, you know, he's not welcome anymore because he ratted people out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's a costume. I'm not going to create a gang war over this or another gang war. That's the last one I did. And um, the picture is up on our Instagram, uh, Caught Offside Pod, if you want to go check it out. I'll check that out. I'd like to see that. Uh, Let's see, JJ, we continue here. Uh, Some other notable stories from over the weekend, of course. The Portland Thorns, your NWSL champions for the third time. Uh, What a a story. I mean, my goodness, to say that this, like, caps off a tumultuous year for the club, that, I mean, that would... uh, I guess be a quite an understatement and that was not lost on anyone. Their coach, uh, Ryan Wilkinson after the match said um, they would have been completely within their rights to just collapse after these last few weeks, the timing with the report coming out, it was hard. It was really hard for me, that leadership, they were so strong and so clear in the direction they wanted to go in that. I felt like I knew what I needed to do to support them. Um, I mean, I don't think you can underrate, you know, you know, you know me, you know, I'm a big like talent wins and don't get me wrong. This Portland Thorns team is, is oozing with talent. They're overflowing with it. But I do think that this is one of those situations where having the right coach, having the right set of leaders, you know, Megan Klingenberg, like they have, they have like seasoned pros in that room. And I think the ability to have successfully navigated what they had to navigate with that report coming out centered around their team. Um, this was, you know, they, they earned this. This was not just like going through the rigors of a season. They also had like a real mental battle to wage on top of that. So props to them for coming through uh, champions for the third time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a shame that the season will be more remembered for the Sally Yates report dropping rather than anything else. Um, should be noted just on a footballing side of things that Sophia Smith was oh just a menace all night. It's one of those weird ones. So... The the first goal she took it really well she she rounded French slided it home uh, slid it home, but on twenty six minutes she could have scored one of the all time greatest goals scored in women's soccer or any American soccer. She dribbled and beat about four or five defenders, and unfortunately she just bent it a little bit too much past the post. I, it reminded me of uh, I think it was Ricky Villa's goal for Spurs against Man mm. City in, in the was it the eighty Cup final. Um, amazing, absolutely amazing uh, performance from her, and they 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 look miles better than the current. To be fair, they they yeah. really did look like the the class of the league. I mean, you're right. Like the the Yates report will be probably the big takeaway from this season, and and the impact that it's going to have. Hopefully, for you know, you hope that it reverberates for generations to come, and that it it serves a real purpose in in fixing the problems. Um, that are so pervasive in the sport, but you're right. Like Sophia Smith, from a soccer perspective, I, I think that she has now really, she's 22. Like she has announced herself to the world, to the U S soccer community as the next big thing, I think uh, for this team. And you saw, she talked about her goal celebration, how she kind of shrugged to the crowd. And that was supposed to be like a message to all those who questioned yeah. whether or not she should have been MVP. Um, you know, and it was kind of like a, well, what do you, what do you have to say now? And good for her. Like, I kind of like, I kind of enjoy that sort of brashness, from a, a young up and coming, I mean, I don't even know if you can say up and coming star. Like I think no, she's, she's established. She has, she's yeah, she's here. Um, so yeah, and brilliant she, performance for her. Her performance is a soothing bam for those of us who were watching the the English team uh, take the women. Well, not take them apart, but beat the women in Wembley. 
And there was a lot of kind of worried conversations afterwards as to where this program is going. When you see the country produce players like this, it's still in a good place. And I think that was your, your takeaway from those internationals. Certainly. Uh, so congratulations to them, Portland Thorns, champions of the NWSL. A uh, couple other things, JJ. Let's go back to the Premier League for a couple here. Marcus Rashford recording his 100th goal for the club. Um, boy, considering this is a guy who, like, I don't know, when you think about his time at Manchester United, it's like, okay, lots of early promise, uh, then, like, starts to realize the hype, then sort of, like, crashes back down to earth, then it's like, well, I don't think his future is here, then it's, okay, well, maybe he's reemerging. Like, next thing you know, like, he, you got 100 goals out of that. I was I was just surprised when I saw that number. I was like, wow, he's there already? Jeez. Imagine if he was good the whole time. Yeah. Imagine if United were better. That too. Imagine if he was played in a more central position under Mourinho. Although it was difficult, Lukaku was there at the time. But um I thought I thought Gary Neville's comments were interesting. Um Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. So Rashford said afterwards. Because uh, he's, you know, he's hitting form again. Like he looks like a player who once again belongs at this club and who has a real future at this club and with the English national team. And, and he said he talked about his struggles last year, that you know mentally he was just not in the right headspace, um, and that was that it affected him and and his performances. Do you have the Gary Neville comment in front of you? I do. Um, it is stark to hear Rashford say, "I wasn't in the right headspace going into a match." Neville said, there's no doubt there was too much being put into his head off the pitch. Too much. Sometimes you have to simplify your life. He's doing so much good off the pitch. It's incredible what he's achieving. But there comes a point where your bread and butter is your football. And I suspect people off the pitch who are close to him, who are probably just pulling him a little away a little bit from his core, which is his football. That's where he's talking about his headspace. For me, he's got that back. Um... I wonder, I would love if if that quote was put to Marcus Rashford and he would respond to that. Marcus, do you think the work that you did in terms of school dinners, in, in terms of, of feeding poor and disadvantaged kids uh, throughout the year, not just through the school year, and how you had to lobby government, do you think all those things took away from your game? I'd love to hear what he said, or maybe he'd have a more, don't forget injuries were there. He had a shoulder problem that never got right. It took forever. And then he had, I think, was it, a, was it a calf or an ankle injury too? Like he did have little things that were happening. He was also playing in a team that was rudderless, that was not in a good place. He was hardly the only member of that team who had a bad season. 100%. So, you know, I believe people can, you know, walk and chew gum. I think we see a lot of players, I was going to say Juan Mata with his uh, common goal charity, but... I mean, Juan Mata hasn't played a ton of football for for the last few years. Maybe he's not the best example either. But I, I don't know. I'd love if it was put to 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 Rashford, like you know, and not in the in the way that it's come up on Twitter, where whenever he'd have a bad game and then he'd tweet about his projects, people would go stick to football. Yeah, uh, you need to f- focus on your football. I don't mean it like that. I mean, like honestly, do you think what you were doing distracted you? I'd love to hear his opinion. Yeah, the only thing I would say to you, like, this to me was is more than walking and chewing gum. Like, that would be like if he loved playing video games and also wanted to play football. You'd say, like, you can do both. Like, you don't need to play right. soccer all the time. This was, this was probably more demanding of his time, of his mental energy. 
But the weird thing is, like, I don't know. Like, there, there's nothing wrong with what Gary Neville is saying. I just want to say that first and foremost. Okay. Um, it is important for Marcus Rashford. This is his job. He has teammates. There's people who care about what he does for Manchester United. It's important. It's very important. He's a great soccer player, and that matters in, in sports culture, in, in British culture, in the world. Like, it just matters. But it's a weird thing to kind of hear someone say, hey, spend less time changing the world for good so you can focus on playing your sport. Right. Like, and I know that's that's very reductive to what Gary Neville's saying. I'm not trying to say that that's – I know I'm kind of taking it a little bit out of context, but that's sort of that's sort of what I – pull away from that message like yeah if it if marcus rashford's performances were hurt by what he was doing off the field then so be it uh, but like what he was doing to help you know young people in in england and in great britain you know who don't who can't afford certain things in life like that's real life like that's stuff that you're changing you're literally changing people's lives for the better just ah just something about that just feels a little weird to me to be like, hey, stop focusing so much on those things so you can focus on the important things. You know, enough of like making sure everyone can eat. Go kick that ball better. Like, I don't yeah, know, like I know, just I know. just struck me a little bit strange. No, I I agree with you. I I, I get that feeling. Also, um, on a on a much more frivolous note, uh, the Ronaldo blanks someone club has a new member. And it's now Gary Neville. So we all remember earlier in the year where um, Roy Keane and, and the crew were on, on the sideline uh, working as pundits for Sky. And Ronaldo came over and gave Roy, Heen, Roy Keane this huge hug. And he said hello to Dave Jones and Gary Neville and then blanked Jamie Carragher, who had been openly critical of Ronaldo and maybe saying that he can no longer start for Manchester United. But we saw last weekend where Gary Neville finally cracked and got into it with Roy Keane, suggesting that, hey, he can't do it anymore. He can't play. He can't start anymore for United. And um, and Neville got the treatment. Ronaldo comes over to the sideline, shakes hands with whoever was there. I think it was, was it Patrice Evra? Not sure. One ex-Manchester United uh, player was on the sideline and uh, Gary Neville got blanked. Mm. So, you know, I mean, Ronaldo, again, being absolutely, completely 100% uh, able to take criticism, as he has been throughout his career. Yes. Um, as for United at large, JJ, they haven't lost since that 6-3 uh, game against Man City back on October 2nd. I know. I know. It's... Um, and you know, they're, and they're to still... think you were out there saying 10 hogs on the hot seat, well, After I'm it, well, he, matches. Uh, yeah, you you get battered, you lose your first game to Brighton at home and then you get battered 4-0 away at Brentford and you're not on a hot seat. Stop. You're it under was pressure. A bad take then. It was a fantastic take. <laughs> the point being, uh, he's he's really he's kind of he is constructing this plane while also flying it. So this this thing they're getting better incrementally slowly they're not where they need to be they're not even a ten hag team yet but he's making this work and he's balanced like he's a problem solver Andrew. like he's spinning plates like ronaldo on one side you know uh mcguire varan figuring all that out uh trying to get the team to play an effective style of football while not compromising core principles he's 
He's doing well. He is doing well. Now, when you have Christian Eriksen putting crosses in like he did for uh, Marcus Rashford, that is a big help. Quality matters. Sure. And, and um, so far, so good. Uh, JJ, both North London clubs get wins over the weekend, but in, in much different ways. Arsenal 5-0. They cruise over Nottingham Forest. Um, I guess my takeaway from that, I mean, first and foremost, Arsenal continue to look like one of the most fun teams to watch in the league so far this season. Yeah. And we spoke last week about depth concerns. Like, how would they hold up over the course and the rigors of a season as players start to get hurt? I know it was against Forest, but you kind of got a little glimpse of it. Like, Bukayo Saka goes off, Reese Nelson comes on, scores twice. It's just, I don't know, like, people will hear Reese Nelson and roll their eyes because like, well, you know, we're comparing everything to Manchester city, but right now, like every button they're pushing and every player who's coming in, like it's all working. Everybody's doing their job and, and contributing right now. And yeah, it's, it's going to take a lot for that to continue over the course of a season. But like, you know, this was, this was a small glimpse that like, yeah, they're sure. Okay. Maybe it's guys who wouldn't feature man for man city, but remember Arsenal aren't playing man city every week. Uh, so, you know, Reese Nelson comes on here, two goals for him. So I, I would say, again, I'll say what I said last week. Their depth is not Man City's depth, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a weakness. Look, it's it was a good result. It's good to have those players come in. They definitely don't want Saka to be injured long term. That's 100% for sure. That goes without saying. How nice is it to be able to have a wobbly away game last weekend and then have Nottingham Forest at home? I mean... Even Steve Cooper said their performance was completely unacceptable. Hmm. That uh, that was a big help for Arsenal. That will steady things uh, for them after the draw away at Southampton. It's a, it's a very good result. Just kind of be careful what I'd read into it. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, the other North London club, Tottenham, you know, if you didn't watch it, you just kind of saw that score. You think, oh, maybe they were up like 3-1. You know, Bournemouth maybe uh, got a late one. You know, uh-uh, <laughs> not quite. Uh, this was... This was very hairy for Spurs. They dig themselves a two-goal second-half deficit and then just find their way out? Like, oh, let's let's just play now. And they score three goals, uh, the last one coming in the 92nd minute to win it 3-2, and a hugely important win for them after what's been kind of a trying time. I mean, as I'm watching this game, I'm thinking, like, because you just know the erraticness of this manager. It's like, okay, well, if they lose to Bournemouth on the heels of, like, some of these other recent performances, maybe today's today's the Burnley day from last season where he's just like, yeah, I'm not the man for this job. <laughs> like you're kind of as a Tottenham fan with this guy as the manager, you're just living in that reality where it's like any bad loss now. And that could be the one that sets him off and pushes him over the edge. And this one, this one could have been it, but they, you know, to their credit, like they, it shouldn't have been like that, but they were down two nothing in the second half. They could have laid down. They didn't, they fought. I mean, they fought really hard to get out of that, and uh, and they do. They walk away winners and a really important three points for Spurs um, as they uh, as they remain in third right now in the table. Yeah, look, um, don't have a ton to say on this except if if Bournemouth were able to defend corners at all, Andrew, they they would have won the game. They would have got three points. They're in it. So I, I mean, true. It was it was appalling absolutely appalling and um, we we did have a listener tweet something along the lines of uh, we were just a couple of minutes away from Conte declaring I can't do this anymore maybe I am not the solution yeah that's exactly like, yeah. So that's what I'm saying yeah that Burnley moment 
that's you know they on the on um NBC's pregame I think it was they were talking about the Conte contract situation uh cuz he like it's all in limbo right now and he's not signing anything and he, it puts Tottenham in this really this is going to be a really interesting negotiation to see how this plays out like his contract is up in the summer and like he's willing to bide his time and like obviously that doesn't put Tottenham in a great position cuz they want to know that this guy is committed uh, if they're going to go out and spend for him, they want to make sure that he's going to be the one utilizing these pieces. But, like, I do wonder if as long as Maurizio Pochettino is out there, there is at least a little bit of leverage on Tottenham's side. Because I, I, I could see I could see a reunion should things go badly. I, I, I wonder how badly Conte wants to, to take Spurs to the next level. And if he believes that he's going to get the backing from Daniel Levy. Because the big thing for him was time and money. So I think if he gets assurances that he will get the money and the time, I think he'll stay. I just wonder, like, what is, who are the guys that he wants that they're not getting him? You know, like, I just look at what they've done in these, in the two windows since he's been manager. You know, like, you could say that so far this season, JJ, I'm not just saying this, Kane, but like, if not Kane, Benton core is the best player on the team so far this season, you know, and I think Kulisevsky too, like since, since he went out injured and like, you could say like, we're seeing how valuable he is. Like they've, you know, Perisic um, coming in, like you can see like moves they've made have, they've done well in transfer windows. I just wonder like, who who is Conte saying, Oh, they're not backing me. And by the way, I haven't actually heard him say that. Although he kind of did reference that. He did say Uh, he he wanted money. Talk about money being, yeah, yeah, and remember, he wasn't exactly effusive about bringing Bentoncourt and Kulishevsky in. They were his signings, but he didn't like. He wasn't falling over the place about them. He, he just he got what he got. You know, I think well, he's he probably. Wanted, I would say he's probably backed off that opinion. Mm, I think he wants what those players have meant to the team. Well, if we look at him, he, he likes experienced players who are re- ready to win, um, and maybe a little bit. I mean, they experienced players who have won things who are in their prime are expensive. So we'll see. I don't know, yeah. but I do think that he was in a roundabout way last week laying out exactly the conditions for what he wants for him to stay. Well, this is a this upcoming week is going to go a long way maybe in determining what happens next. They got to qualify for the knockout stage of the Champions League. And uh, who knows? If that doesn't happen, all bets are off. I don't know. Uh, let's see, JJ, a couple other things to close out here. World Cup injuries, they are starting to materialize. We just mentioned a few moments ago, Bukayo Saka got hurt. Don't know the extent of that. It didn't seem, I don't know, the sense that I got just from kind of reading about it, it didn't seem like this is a thing that will necessarily keep him out, but that's, I guess that's not really known at this point. We we uh, won't know. The club will send him for a scan or whatever, so we probably won't know till till tomorrow, Monday. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the U.S., though. Oh, man. Oh man, uh, Luca De La Torre going to miss Your three boy. weeks with a hamstring injury. Um, mm, boy, that's that that amount of time is oh, it gets you right right to the edge. Uh, Eduardo Cude of Celta Vigo, the manager, he said this about the injury. He said, "I have spoken with the doctor. It is a small injury." This was uh, he said this on Friday. He will surely make it to the World Cup. He is a player who has a role with his national team, so there won't be any problem. Oh, <laughs> all right. Uh, 
I wonder what Greg Berhalter thinks of that. Yeah. Like a player who's, who's going to miss three weeks with the, with his club leading right up to the world cup. Like, yeah, nothing to see here. He's fine. I'm, I mean, I'm sure I appreciate his club manager going to bat for him and trying to do everything he can to make sure he gets on that roster. But Greg berhalter has got a, a, a really big decision to make here. You know, I'm sure it's lost in translation or something, but did you not find the line? He is a player who has a role with his national team, so there won't be any problem. I mean, he he, he barely has a role with Celta Vega so far. I mean, did you see how many minutes total he's played? He hasn't played it in an hour yet. He's played 50 minutes. And that, look, I looked at that. I thought, that's not ideal. But the least I thought I could say was, well, he probably has less chance of getting injured in the heat of competitive action. And now look what's happened. Yeah, so much for that. Uh, boy, this would be a shame. I mean, man, you know what I think of this guy. He's uh, been very he's good. This spot. Like, he, he had to earn this. Like, like he's not a bubble guy. Like, no. I have him firmly on this squad going to the World Cup, and he earned that. Like, there was there was not a clear path to him getting on this team, but he forced it with his performances and qualifying. And, um, boy, that would – three weeks out, uh, that's a – that's a tough pill to take. Uh, I don't know. I not ruling anything out yet. I just it's a it's a difficult decision that they're going to have to make. That time that time frame is rough. Um, then on top of that, JJ Weston McKinney is going to miss two weeks with a thigh injury. I'm reading here from Sports Illustrated. Uh, they write if his recovery stays true to the reported timeline, McKinney would make his return just one week before the USMNT's World Cup opener against Wales on November 21st, barring any setbacks. Like this is one where I think you have to just kind of bite the bullet and take him because he—it's like he's that important to the team, and so again, barring setbacks. But you know, this is this is one of the names. Like if we had a few names, we're like more than others of don't get hurt, don't get hurt. This is one of them, and uh, that time frame again—it's a little bit scary. Got to bring him, got to bring him, but. Is he going to be able to give 90 minutes? Uh, I, uh, I don't it's, like look, this. N- none of this is ideal, but but the frequency of games, I mean, De La Torres is not a frequency of games. That's just unfortunate. But Injuries happen, yeah. Yeah, but you, you I mean, so I, I read ESPN today, and I'm not trying to frighten anybody, but like, there's a lot of players who are dealing with little things. Matt Turner's dealing with his groin. Uh, Tyler Adams had been dealing with the undisclosed injury, but returned uh, on Saturday for Leeds and, and played brilliantly. Um, others dealing with nagging injuries include Gio Reyna, hamstring. He played 30 minutes off the bench this weekend for Dortmund. Anthony Robinson, ankle, but he played for Fulham, so should be good. Eunice Musa, uh, groin, wasn't in the squad for Valencia, I don't believe. And Zach Steffen, he, st- he played uh, for Borough against uh, Preston, but you know he's he'd been dealing with a uh, a knee issue prior to that. And Tim Way played seventy minutes today for Lille um, in a defeat to Lyon, and we know he'd been he'd been out for some time. So I think Josh Sargent too, JJ with a yeah, calf Josh, injury. Josh Sargent, um, which is I saw Dean Smith said about it. He said he because uh, Josh Sargent didn't play over the weekend. Uh, Dean Smith said he felt it Tuesday, but played on. But it was just too tight today. He's got the opportunity to maybe get called up for the World Cup as well. We can't risk him. And he didn't feel it was right to go today. It's interesting, though. Like, you see in the comments from these managers that, you know, with De La Torre, Sargent, like, everyone is aware of what's at stake here for a lot of these guys Yeah, with this World Cup. Like, there's no – like, I, I do kind of appreciate that, that, you know, 
manager club teams are not blind to the fact that they've got guys who who want to be playing in this at this upcoming World Cup. And so, you know, I, I do like that maybe Norwich City is is being a little bit careful with with Josh in this situation. Although there's you also read stuff that he felt this a couple of weeks ago, but played two games after this happened. Um, so I don't know. It's this is it. Like this is just the reality of this World Cup. It is, and it's also, in many ways, the reality of professional football, Andrew. A lot of guys are never fully fit after a certain age. They've always got little things, and you're always managing something. So let's yeah, but just these guys are These guys who we're talking about are all young. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to so, rationalize here, Andrew. No, I mean, the rationalization is that the, the fixture list is crazy. There's not going to be a buffer window between the World Cup and, and the end of the of clubs before they go on break. And, yeah. like... Yeah, this is again. It's going to be reality for everyone. Like England don't have Reese James; he might be their best player. So, like everybody's dealing with this stuff. It's not just the U.S., but you know, just it just feels like it's coming fast and furious right now for the U.S., which is not ideal. Um, so we'll see. Greg's, you know, the 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 roster announcement is on November 9th, I believe, which is oh my god, a week and a half. Jeez, less yeah. than that. Um, so he's going to have some tough decisions to make because he's going to have to presumably announce that roster with guys who are still recovering from injury. And like, it's, you can't know definitively how they're going to, how the recovery is going to go. He's going to have to so, make judgment calls based on whatever information he has and just guess. Some of these will be guesses, Andrew, and some of them yeah. will be leaps of faith because like you said, in the cases of Weston McKinney, players like that, you got to risk it because he's that good or he's that right. important to the team. That's right. That's where we're at. Uh, so there you go, my friend. That uh, Unless you got anything else, that about does it. couple of quick things, very quick things, uh, all World Cup related. Um, in Brazil, uh, the presidential runoff happened, and the candidate Lula has defeated Jair Bolsonaro, who, of course, Neymar has been um, pushing hard for Bolsonaro. Pushing hard, is that fair? Certainly being... Um, how should we put it? Supporting him on social media. Um, and and uh, I was going to say campaigning for him, but that's too strong, maybe. Um, that's one thing. So that's kind of interesting, um, considering some of the back and forth that's been going on. And, uh, of course, Neymar's uh, trial in Brazil. And uh, the other thing that popped up on my timeline, uh, it's from the Dutch newspaper NRC, Andrew. Uh, they are reporting, and this is a translation, so forgive the, the translation. Qatar will pay at least 50 fans, Dutch fans, for their visit to the World Cup next month. In return, they must participate in the organization's activities, which prohibit doing anything that goes against, quote, the spirit or intent of the program. At least two football fans have signed a code of conduct obliging them to make positive contributions to the World Cup. Uh, the NOS writes this on Sunday based on conversations with fans and documents with conditions for their participation. Anyone who signs the code of conduct drawn up by Qatar is given an ambassadorial role, as it were. That means posting videos and photos on social media, liking and sharing posts from the organization, and taking action against offensive comments from third parties. <laughs> if an, if, 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 uh, fan, if I mean, that is, hmm. If a fan of the Aranji paid by Qatar, does not comply with the signed code of conduct, the World Cup organization will terminate the agreement. It is not known whether all Dutch fans have, or all, I guess all the Dutch fans involved with this have signed the code 
of conduct. Sounds like a perfectly normal thing to do. <laughs> I mean, this is on the heels of the allegation about a month ago that Qatar was paying social media people to criticize certain uh, people who would say anything bad against PSG and to go after players, including Kylian Mbappe, at the right time when, when, when it was needed. So these, I mean, it's, it's, this World Cup is unusual, but things like that, they make you, they really, they make you wonder. So that's on the NRC website, and the, the journalist is Jorit Verkirk. Lot of, lot of oddities around this World Cup. It's, um, it's not just the, the place in the calendar that is strange about, about this, this World Cup, Andrew. Yeah. Well, well, it's it's happening soon, and we're going to see how this all materializes. Yes, I'm very. I'm very curious. I'm yes. very curious. Uh, big Champions League week. A lot of things going to be decided. A lot of things, JJ. So uh, you certainly have that to come during the course of the week. Um, we'll give you some of that next week. Of course, MLS Cup final, caught offside cup as well. I believe that was uh, referenced earlier from Trent. So that's, um, yeah, that's this is, right. And then. And then soon enough, we're kind of into World Cup preview mode. I mean, obviously, there's still going to be some games going on. But like like we said, the U.S. roster will be out. I'm sure we'll have a special podcast right after that. So, yeah, lots lots happening here on the old caught offside feed. Yeah, that's now, right. You don't, want to miss it. you don't want to miss it. You've got to just subscribe wherever you can. Join us on Twitter, at CO Soccer Pod. And, um, you know, JJ's working hard behind the scenes to get you that merch that you want. It's coming. Yeah. It's going to happen. I can't wait to see some of it. I want some. You know, I you're use not a new hat. No, oh, yeah, I'll get you a win. I'll get you a winter merch hat. Yeah. You know, we have to. We we really have to do a little bit of work on branding, Andrew. Though, yeah, I mean, is it we, is it uncool to wear like if you're in a band, it's kind of lame to wear a shirt of your own band. Does that apply here? I, I like, would think, it be weird for me to be walking around in a caught offside shirt? No, I think you're okay because it's the it's the business you own and it's it's your passion and it's something that you do. I think the rule about the band extends to. If you're going to a concert, you don't. It's uncool to wear the T-shirt of the band you're going to see. But if you're in a band, it's okay to wear a shirt of your own band. No, it's not. Okay, so <laughs> pretty sure it's right. not. Well, if you have thoughts on this, leave this as your in your review when you go on to Spotify or Apple and you leave your review. Tell me if it's okay for me to wear a shirt of the of the podcast or merch of of my own podcast. I'm curious. I just want I to need say a, I need affirmation. I just want to sell T-shirts with your face on them across America and the globe. We have a listener. We have a few listeners in Johannesburg in South Africa. Can you imagine nice. them walking around wearing your face? Ah, oh, beautiful. I do like the thought of that. Yeah. It tickles your little ego there. there. I think there's something there. Hey, this was fun, my friend. Enjoy the Champions League action during the week. We'll, of course, be back with you probably later this week for a little bit more. Uh, hey, JJ, to you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. Also, fun boys and fun girls. Keep an eye out for some YouTube content. Good stuff. Talk to you later, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.